Cheers. Uh, thank you. Yeah, as Owen said, my name's Ben, and um, yeah, I'm an elder at Emmanuel Church London. I've been, Emmanuel Church has been going for kind of five years, um, and I've been an elder for a couple of years and full-time on staff. I'm also uh, involved with kind of working with gangs and serious youth violence. So my previous job before that, I was kind of working for the Youth Offending Service and various local government and central government agencies and for some strange reason when things tend to kick off I get a phone call and get asked for just my my advice for what, what it's worth. Um, it, is a, it is a privilege to be here as Owen says I've known him for a while uh, I think it was probably from 2000 and yet yeah, did Alpha and Owen and Pauline basically have been just uh, inspirational to me and Billy really because it was quite strange coming to uh, a New Frontiers church um, in Catford and not seeing many black people around, if I'm honest. There was a couple of years when I saw Owen, I was like, oh, okay, there's one. So, um, <laughs> and we had many, many discussions and many arguments. One of my main uh, gripes was kind of like, wow, we're in the middle of Lewisham Borough and there's no black people in this church. What is going on? And I'm not even like pro-black or anything, but I just was my observation and Owen would always say, Ben, just be patient and... Da, 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 da. And if you know anything about King's Church London now, it's, it's very diverse, and that's just incredible what God's doing. I've also, I also know quite a few guys here, uh, either through being at King's Church London, um, some of these guys are in my small group, so it's great, amazing to see what's going on here, and I play football with some of these guys, and I've raved with some of these guys as well, so you know, it's quite interesting to see them all got kids and stuff like that, and all looking quite respectable. <laughs> I've seen another side, um, and I won't expose too many things, but I might do, who knows. Um, okay, well anyway, so let's, let's crack in. So basically today we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel 23, David's mighty men. I thought it was apt because it's Father's Day. That's not to say that women are not going to get anything out of this at all, because, you know, it's could call it mighty people, but the Bible says mighty men, so we're going to go with that. And... Um, just to kind of give you a bit of background, um, at this point, well, just before this point, David has been anointed the next king of Israel uh, by the prophet Samuel, and he is in a position where his fame is kind of known throughout the country. He has just slayed Goliath. He is um, the famous son and as a result, King Saul is not happy with this. There's jealousy and all types of stuff starts, starts happening. And um, I say starts happening, he wants to kill David. You know, I've kind of minimised what's happening. He wants to kill David. Um, so what David does, he decides to escape. It's quite good. Sometimes we try to face our battles and do all types of stuff, which is good. Other times it's just good to just get out of the place. And this is exactly what David did. He escaped um, to the wilderness and King Saul comes hunting for him. Um, but what's interesting at this point, David escapes to a place called a uh, cave of Adullam. And um, you'd expect when things get really kind of rough that your friends and family will come and support you. Um, hopefully, you know, that, that you'd think that was going to happen. What you actually find here is that uh, all types of people started coming to David. It says that there was uh, 400 of 400 people came, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul, 
gathered to David. Now, if I was David, I'd be thinking, you know what, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit stressed. Someone's trying to kill me. All right, it's quite helpful that I've got my family around me. I probably don't need 400 people who are in debt, in distress, bitter in soul to be around me. I mean, I personally wouldn't need that. I've got my own problems, you'd be thinking. But um, actually, that's what happened. And it says here, he became captain over them. He became captain over them. Um, and this is, I suppose, what I'm going to pick up is kind of what's happened between that point and this point. Something incredible happened. Something miraculous happened. Something absolutely brilliant happened to these guys who were bitter in soul to suddenly then become mighty men. And I think what you can tell, I mean, when you look back into this stuff, um, David defeated Goliath in his teenage years. He became king of Israel when he was 30. So there's probably a period between 10 and 15 years here where David was in this cave and these 400 people in distress came to him. So we're going to pick it up from 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. I'm going to uh, do 8 to 12 first, then I'll skip to 8 to 23, and then eventually we'll get back to the middle bit. But bear with me. Um, this is really something which, I, I, when you read this, it's kind of like, I sometimes wonder why there's not more films, like biblical films being made, because this is like something which, I just went and saw The Man of Steel the other day, and you know, they need to be putting some budget behind to do some of this stuff, because it's quite incredible. Okay, let's get into this. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. And you have to bear with me, because some of these names are very complicated. Jehoshabeth, a Tashemite. He was the chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahoy. He was with David when they defied the Philistines, who was gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him, only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite. The Philistines gathered together a Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And I'm just now going to go on to verse 18. Now, Abishai, the brother of Johab, the son of Zuri, the chief of the 30, and he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them, and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty, and he became the commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, was a valiant man of Kabazil, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on the day when the snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. That always cracks me up. <laughs> If he was ugly, would it have been a problem? The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehodiah, and won a name beside the three mighty men. 
He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. I'm just going to pray, and we're going to kind of see what the Lord wants to say to us. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just want to acknowledge you and say that you are an amazing God. You are an amazing Father. We love you. We are in awe of you. And we say, Lord, bless us today as we speak and hear your word. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you here. Minister to our hearts. Uh, minister to where we're at, Lord. We are those distressed people. <laughs> we're coming to you. We don't want to forget our problems here. Like Owen said, we want to bring them to the foot of the throne, to the foot of the cross. And we say, Holy Spirit, come in power today. Um, give my words clarity and direction in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, if I can get the next PowerPoint up, that'd be great. The rejected king. This is my first point. I've got three points. They're all good sermons. Three-point sermon. Um, and the next PowerPoint should be uh, a picture of somebody we should all know. Hopefully, we all know who this person is. Uh, Steve Jobs. Um, if you don't know who this person is, I guarantee you've probably got one of his products at home or in your pocket. He was the uh, co-founder of Apple, and uh, he died in 2011. And just in a nutshell, his story was that he, he, he co-founded Apple, um, and then uh, Apple wasn't doing so great in the 70s, early 80s, so then he got sacked. Um, and then in that time, he kind of took a bit of time out. I think he traveled to India and all types of stuff. And he kind of just uh, had a bit of a time to re-energize and, and plot and think, what am I going to do next? And then he developed a, a, a little company called Pixar, which I'm sure some of you will know for making uh, films like Toy Story and things like that. And eventually, uh, he ended up getting back to be, becoming the CEO of Apple, and he sacked everybody. And then, as a result, the iPod and the iPhone and iPad and all that stuff came. And we all know the story. It's one of the biggest companies in the world. At the point when he was sat, is a quote when he was given an address at Stanford University, which I think will come up, where he says this. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again. Less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. And he added, I'm pretty sure none of this would have happened if I hadn't been fired from Apple. It was awful taste in medicine, but I guess the patient needed it. I suppose what you kind of see with David, he's being hunted down, and at this point, it's all gone very wrong. It's gone pear-shaped. People want to kill him. He's now in a cave. Uh, all his friends and family are with him, but also he's got 400 guys who are pretty useless. And so you're in a situation where if I was David, I'd be thinking, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? What are you trying to do with my life here? Um, what is going on? And I, I think this is something just to hold on to at this point where we're, where, as we go into this a little bit more. The, the situation we see is that David actually gives an Old Testament portrait of Christ. David was the anointed and rightful king. We, we, we know that. The prophet Samuel kind of said this. But he was unrecognized and rejected by the establishment. King Saul was not having it, and everybody else was kind of like, no, no, we don't agree. Similarly, we can see that Jesus, Christ, right now is the rightful king, 
over mankind. But he is also unrecognized and rejected by this world. So you can see the comparison. Those who uh, were, those who recognized David as, as king went and joined him in the wilderness, in the cave. They went there and shared in his unpopularity and rejection. And I think as, as Christians, we can, we can kind of identify with those people who came to David. We can identify for those, those people who are in distress, people in need, um, people who are dissatisfied with the established system. We come to Jesus, effectively this is church. Now, I don't know any of you, but kind of like what Owen was kind of saying, we're here because we are not happy with what we see out there. We're here because we think the answers which we're getting out there doesn't quite sit with us. So we come to church for answers. We come to Jesus because we believe he is the, he's the key and he's the way and he's the truth. Jesus is still the rejected one here on earth. The world has cast them out. The world put them on the cross. We put them on the cross. His own people rejected him. If you read that, you read that in the Gospels. They did not want him to be their king. But it says this in Ephesians 1, 20 to 22. God has exalted him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named. That's an amen moment, just in case. I don't know how you... Southeast London, we do amen, you know. Southwest, I don't know. Um, and in, in, in Revelation 19, 16, it says, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the rejected king that we serve. That is something to be amazed at. David became the center and the captain of a number of faithful followers. And actually, as I'm thinking about it, it's not just that he was a captain. He became almost a father figure. It's Father's Day. I got my first Father's Day card. My son's only nine months, so I'm assuming his mum had something to do with it as well. But it was, you know, I'm happy. It was my first Father's Day card. I didn't get breakfast in bed, but plenty of years to come for that. But Jesus, or David here, was kind of like the, not just the captain. It says that in the, in, in, in the word, but I believe he was like a father figure. And similarly, Christ, although rejected by this world, has a company of followers. Us in this room, and many, many other people. In 1 Samuel 22, it says, his brothers went to him in the cave of Adullam, but then also everyone who was in distress, everyone in debt, everyone who was discontented, gathered to him. So here's a question. Who do you follow? Is Jesus captain over your lives? When you are distressed, who do you go to? And I throw these questions out because I have these questions all the time. It's not like I'm standing up here saying, yeah, because I know the answers and you lot don't. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing in the times, although it's like, you know, the Sunday school thing, every answer is Jesus. But we know that. But really, realistically, in life, when it really does get crazy, who do we go to? It says in Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
I'm going to say it again because it's one of my favourite verses. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. On the road to becoming mighty men and women for Christ, we are taught through the life of David to go to the one who is rejected. And this is very countercultural because when things go wrong, we, we tend to be told by the world, go to the one who is strong, go to the one with strength, go to the ones, you know, with power. And Jesus has all those things, but he's depicted in a way in the, in the word, in the gospels, of someone who wasn't looked at like that. But we know that we, we, it's like we've read the end of the book. We know that he is almighty and all-powerful. The result, when we as weak people go to Jesus, is that we become mighty men and women of Christ. We become mighty men and women of Christ. We can be transformed through Jesus. It, it, when I think about my own life, and if I had more time, I'd go into it a little bit more, but and Owen would tell you, when I first came to, when I first came to Christ in 2000, I honestly did not see myself doing what I'm doing now, um, being an elder of a church and preaching and all this type of stuff. And not that, I don't want that to be like the, you know, that's the goal for everyone. But I, I use it as a point just to say that God will do things in your life when you go to him, which is beyond your wildest dreams. So that's point one. Wow, time flies. Okay. Point two, leadership and warfare. Leadership and warfare. Yes, the people in distress didn't just come to David for like a pet talk. They didn't just go there and, and expect David just be like, oh, there, there, you're in distress, da, 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 you know, let me make you a cup of tea, all that type of stuff. They came for direction and leadership. David offered instruction and training to become mighty men. And this didn't happen overnight. Like I said, you know, we, we don't quite know the the exact time they spent together like this. But as I said, he killed Goliath when he was in the teenage years and he became king when he was 30. So, you know, I'm guessing it was probably quite, maybe 10 years when these guys were together. David offered this instruction and training. Um, I did a marathon a couple of years ago and I, I, I definitely valued training. <laughs> I valued it. But I worked out that it wasn't just a 16-week program, which I did. Actually, I started running kind of 18 months prior to that, just to get my body into kind of shape. And I realized the value of doing that with somebody who's already been there. So I, I ran with a couple of people who'd run marathons already, and it was, just, it was very helpful. What you see here is that it doesn't surprise me that these guys turned out to be mighty warriors. You know, you've got David who beat Goliath. It's obvious that these guys were going to be molded on him. David was a warrior and a heart after God. And when you just read that list, you can see all the mighty acts they did. But they were molded by David. Demonstrated the same characteristics. And, it, you know, when you read all these organizational kind of books and stuff, it, it tends, they tend to say that an organization tends to represent the characteristics of a leader. When I hear that you guys are involved in food banks, when I, when I talk to Owen and, see, and hear some of the stuff you guys do in and around the community, it doesn't surprise me because Owen's always been that way. He's always been the type of person to get involved and talk to people and just really get the kind of community get low kind of thing. And so it doesn't surprise me that you guys have got a heart for that and you're, you're doing some amazing work there. 
The question is, are we prepared to let our King Jesus do the same with us? Instruct and train and mold. And that's a big question. I think there's something about obedience there. There's something about pride. You know, uh, when I think about some of the hardest challenges and God is still doing loads of work in me, you know, being obedient and lowering my pride levels is one of the hardest things I've got to do. David was not only the center, but the leader and captain of his followers. Christ is not only at the center of our lives, but is the author and chief leader of all that he owns. Another amen moment. That is brilliant. And it's something to hold on to, and it excites me to know that the king of the universe is for me. It's brilliant. In Hebrews 12, I think this kind of sums up what I'm trying to really get at here, and I'm going to read it from the message version. I think it will come up. Um, there you go. Okay, so I'm just going to read this out quickly. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. The exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, the cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. It's incredible. David, he pruned and disciplined these needy, weak, desperate men, and they became mighty, exceptional warriors. And Jesus can do the same for us. And you can see it through the Bible. You can see it with like, stories of Gideon and Moses. These guys were not you know, the, the archetypal kind of, oh, yeah, you're obvious people who you're going to do amazing works for God. It was people like you and us. And God wants, to, I feel God's saying it for us today to kind of wake us out of our slumber. You can become greater than you think you are, but through Christ. You can become mighty than you think you will ever be, but it's through Christ. How's it done? through instruction and discipline and prayer and study. I'm so encouraged when I hear that you guys are doing kind of uh, men's groups and all this type of stuff. It's, 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 it's necessary. It's necessary. And slowly what you see is that the Holy Spirit will do a transformation in, in our character and we'll become more like Jesus. We're called to imitate Jesus. That's what happens. And in the same way that the men, the, these guys started imitating David, that's what we're called to do. And, and this is a key point. Like, I'm not sure, you, know, you might be your first time here or you're a new Christian or, or just looking in, but it's not just Christianity, loving Jesus and what Jesus does. It's not just a, a, a mere behavioral change. It's not kind of like, um, oh, those are the things, uh, the insanity workouts. Have you, have you seen those? It's kind of like basically a, a, a workout you do for 60 days 
And I'm always getting a bit confused about these things because I'm like, okay, 60 days, you'll have an amazing body, but what happens after the 60 days when you can't actually keep up the workout? You just get frustrated. I, I, it always confuses me. Where actually being transformed by Christ is not a mere behavioral change. It's a deep-rooted, deep-rooted transformation of your, of your heart and your life. And that is the beautiful thing. David became a leader, the captain of all over him, and he, they took refuge in him. And similarly, Christ wants us to do the same. And as I said, it's great that I hear that you guys are doing kind of fellowship and togetherness. I think this is important. I was thinking back, actually, to my early Christian days. I remember, I don't remember this, Owen, um, probably early 2000, 2001, you got us, you got me, I think Mark was in it as well. We got a few of us to meet quite early in the morning and we did um, Richard Foster's Celebratory of Disciplines book. And like you were kind of saying, it wasn't so much, I mean, it was great, obviously the book, but it was actually great just being together with other young guys and just praying and sharing. Like, and actually that helped me in my growth. It, and I, and I, when, I think, when I think about this, these guys would have been together for a long time. So it wasn't as much about what David was instructing, but they were doing life together. They were sharing their issues together. They were sharing their problems. They were praying together, finishing, eating together. You know? The amount of times I go to dinner and I just think food is just brilliant. I love food. But the fact that over food, you tend to open up a lot more if the food's good. If it's not, it might open up in different ways, but anyway, that's, let's not go there. Um, so, yeah, so that, you know, it's brilliant to have that kind of just togetherness. And you can see it in the New Testament as well. Um, it, it says that, you know, after Pentecost, that even the enemies had to acknowledge that the disciples had been with Jesus. Holy Spirit came in, in power. I suppose, as I was going to say, like as I said before, obedience is the key. And um, I just encourage people to keep going. I know it's not always easy, but I'm encouraging people just to keep running the race there. I'm going to move on to... Well, I was about to move on to my third point, but I'm just going to actually... next. The next slide. Just very quickly. That's all right. Go back to that one. That's cool. Oh, technicals. No. Well, all right. So the next. Oh, there we go. Okay. So this slide really just kind of shows, like, the mighty men and the mighty acts and the type of lessons which we can learn. And I haven't really got time to go into it, but I, I would encourage you guys, and I know I don't always do this, but I encourage people to actually go back and just reread that th this passage and to see what it speaks. So, so for example, you know, uh, uh, Eleazar stood and fought the enemy even though his fellow soldiers retreated and it just demonstrates that the Lord brought victory, great victory, even though it was draining and at times it was lonely. Through, through, the Lord still brought a great victory and there's loads of lessons you can learn from that. But I haven't got time to go into all that so you can do that in your own time. Um, so point three, this is my final point really. And it's, it's about worship. And I'm just going to pick it back up. So if you've got your Bibles, and you can go to 2 Samuel 23, um, verses 13 to 17. There we go. Okay. And the three of the 30 
chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistine was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, I hope that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to, to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do... Sorry, let me go back. Poured it out. Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. What you've actually got here is kind of a really beautiful um, picture of worship. And it's brought to us by the three mighty men in these verses. David longed for a drink. He was desperate for a drink from his hometown in Bethlehem. And the mighty three overcame the enemy in, you know, in incredible circumstances, overwhelming ob obstacles, and at great personal cost to get him this water. They were not commanded to do this deed. It wasn't something where they, they, David said, you have to go and get me some water. It was not a military duty. They acted out of love for their king. And this is the, this is the similarity. Our worship to our Lord Jesus isn't an act of duty, but it's an act of devotion. And there's a difference. There's a massive difference. An act of duty is kind of like, oh, <laughs> do I have to do this? Well, devotion is something which is in you, which just pushes you to do this because you just get it. You're just kind of like, I'm just drawn. Like, it's some beautiful stuff which was coming from the worship band about, you know, the thousands of angels all worshipping and Dan read out about even the rocks will just worship you. It's kind of like, man, how can you not get caught up in that if you have a true understanding of what Jesus is about? They acted out of love for their king, these mighty men. David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem. And I believe there's a, I think God has this, this desire, this longing for us to worship him as people. It says in Exodus, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. That sounds like God really wants us to worship him. <laughs> sounds like he doesn't want us to get distracted. True worship will always involve time, effort, and sacrifice. And here's another question. I like throwing questions out. Have you ever noticed how many obstacles and how many diversion, diversions they, they, they seems to present themselves when you want to spend time worshipping with the Lord? Many distractions. I don't need to list them. You know, in, in your heart. And it's, it can be very, it can be practical things, but then it can also be idols as well. Some things which just always seem to check themselves. I'll share this very quickly. I, I realise, and it's not always bad things. So I'm, I'm a music man, I love music. I've DJed since I was about 13, and I'm really into it. And uh, when I first became a Christian, I realised I was listening to a lot of music which wasn't healthy, and I basically got rid of <laughs> about 500 CDs. 
um, which is fine. It's not for everybody to do, but I did that. But I've never really lost my love for music. And it's just recently I felt God say to me, um, Ben, you're just slightly shifting to, to loving that stuff a lot more than you probably should be. So I'm going to go on a 40-day fast from music. If anybody knows me, that is going to be worse than fasting from food. <laughs> Seriously. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I feel God telling me to do it, so I'm going to be obedient. Um, and we'll see how that goes. That's just an idol in my life. You, you'll probably have other things. And I'm, again, hear what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to go and fast from these things unless God is prompting you. But sometimes you have to take the drastic action just to kind of get right with God. The fact that David poured the water out on the ground also makes it seem like what the mighty men did was just a waste of time. But David considered that act to be so significant that he then elevated it by giving the water as a drink offering back to the Lord. And what David was doing, he was modelling his love to God how to worship to his mighty men. I love, I, um, I like the whole concept of role models. Um, Owen, as I said, Owen's been an amazing role model to me because when I was at King's, uh, you come into a church, an established church, and you, you feel a little bit lonely, and Owen kind of really did, like, take me under his wing. But what was interesting, I've never seen kind of a black leader in this setting. So when I saw him as a, as a leader, I was like, Ah, this is interesting. It didn't make me suddenly think I want to be a leader, but it was interesting to see Owen doing it as a black guy from South East London. And then he became an elder. I was like, oh, there's black elders in New Frontiers. Interesting. Yeah, blew my mind. I saw, I saw Owen do that. I, I, that's possible. Then he wrote a book. I never had, I was thinking, wow, somebody I know, actually, I never knew anybody who had written a book before. You didn't know Owen, but you were modeling stuff. And it, where I am now, it's because I can always say I've seen somebody do it before me. I was watching a documentary on Chris Rock, the American comedian, and he, um, he kind of said it was very easy for him in the, in the American kind of comedy market because he had Eddie Murphy before him. He looked at Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy did uh, Saturday Night Live, a show in America. So Chris Rock did it. Um, Eddie Murphy did films. Chris Watts said, oh, I'm going to do films. Uh, Eddie did Shrek. Chris Watts did Madagascar. It's like, you could see the modeling. And then, you, and then I saw something with Eddie Murphy. He said, well, that's funny, because I was modeling everything from Richard Pryor. And you're like, man, actually, everybody is looking to somebody for direction. Everybody is looking for somebody. The question I have, who is your example, and what are you modeling, and to whom? I have to check, my, I've got a nine-month-old, and for the first time, not the first time, but the, the, probably the first time I've really had to think about it, I'm like, everything I do, you're going to pick up, son, including all my bad stuff. So I've got to sort it out. So suddenly it's like, uh, you know, all the jam tarts I've got in my, in my house, which I love, my wife is kind of like, he's going to pick that habit up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want him to have diabetes by the time he's, you know. 35. So, you know, it's just, it's just that type of thing that I start thinking about. Who is your example and what are you modelling and to whom? And just kind of like my final point off the back of that really is that at times of quiet meditation in worship um, may appear a waste of time to some, but it's vital. 
Um, it really is vital. Uh, a quiet worship as well as an active worship is, is great. It, it brings refreshment to, to the heart of the king. And um, this is where the wrestling happens. It's the stuff behind closed doors. Like, it, corporate worship is fantastic. Um, I think God loves it when we get on our knees behind closed doors and no one is seeing us and just like pouring out our hearts. And that's where the wrestling happens. Like when Jacob wrestled God, it's like, this is, this is, this is the bit. I, there's been times, there's prayers no one will know about because I'm just like, Lord, you know I've been battling this for years. I've got dreams and, you know, some stuff, years I've had, just praying and praying. And I think it's the key to our transformation. Yeah, everything I've said is important, but getting on our knees daily and just saying, you know what, Lord, here I am, I'm humbling myself again. I'm in awe of you again. It's about you. It's not about me. Now do your work. Forgive me where I've messed up again. This is the bit what eradicates the pride. This is the transformation which needs to happen. So... Those are like my, my three points. Um, I've got a conclusion, really, and I'm just gonna ask you guys to stand, if that's all right, um, and maybe the band could come back up. Because I, I think there's, there's three points, and I think there's three types of people I believe God wants to speak to. First of all, my first point was about uh, the rejected king. How David was the rejected king, and people, ran to him. I believe there's people here today who do not know Jesus and I believe that God would say, even though I'm rejected here on earth, I want you to run to me because when you run to me, um, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to blow everything that you think about me. I'm going I'm to make you mighty. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to put you in a relationship with me. And the great thing about this story is that you see that. You see how these guys who were needy came to David and over a period of time they did inc not just little acts, incredible acts of warfare. And God wants to do that for, for us today. If you've, if you've never experienced Jesus... This is what he can do. He will take you as a weak, broken, confused person. And he will turn you into a mighty, precious warrior. I'm testimony to that and many other people here are. So I'm, if that is you, I've, you know, and it's brave, if everybody could just close their eyes, that would be helpful. If that is you... I just want you to just be brave and just put your hand up and somebody will pray for you or you can come and talk to me or whatever. But I just feel there's people here who, you, you know, it might be your first time here or you might be coming for a while and you've just not been sure. I feel God is saying, I'm here. Hello, I've been knocking on your heart for a bit. I want to make you into a mighty person. So if that is you, just, you know, just put your hand up and... I know it's brave, I know it's not easy. Um, and if you don't put your hand up, that's fine. Because God will get you eventually. So it's, 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 it's cool. 
My second point was about leadership and warfare. Are we prepared to listen, mature, grow, take instruction? I think this might be for more of the mature Christians here who may have had like a long walk with Christ. Um, and it's really, I suppose, it's a provocation that keep going and for an increase of the Holy Spirit to come in your life. And I just want to pray very quickly. If you are, if you're here and that is how you feel, if you are like, you know, I've been, I've been with God for a while, you know, again, just put your hands out and I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. If you've felt like, you know, I feel weary, I feel weak like David's guys, God wants to do something amazing. I'm just going to pray for you guys. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You know, for some of us here, family is hard. Work is hard. I've got bills to pay. You know, there's other issues in my life. Walking this, this road is difficult. I say, come, Holy Spirit. Renew, refresh, Ignite your passion into the hearts of the men and women here in Brixton. Come, Holy Spirit. Meet these people where they're at right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Make them mighty warriors. Make them mighty men and women for you. Lord, I pray they put down their pride. Put down anything which is holding them back from entering into a beautiful, amazing life with you. Holy Spirit, come. Minister to your people. Come, Holy Spirit. And my third point, really, is just, as I was talking about, a picture of worship. And it's more of a, I felt actually God say this is like a, a corporate response for Beacon Church. That for this church to, to grow and impact Brixton and, and beyond, it's going to require prayer warriors. It's going to require not just prayer meetings, it's going to require getting on your knees, behind closed doors, pouring out your heart. God, I see the broken. God, I see those in need. And I'm not happy to come in, Lord, and do an amazing work. Let Beacon be the light of this area. It's those type of prayers God wants you to do. He's yearning for you to open your hearts out. So I'm just going to pray very quickly for, for, for you as a church. And then I'm going to just hand over to the guys. So Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, come. Bless Beacon Church, Lord. Bless these guys. Make them be the cornerstone of this community, Lord. I pray for many different types of people to come through these doors. But I pray that you also equip this congregation for those types of people, Lord. Prepare them like you prepared David's men, Lord. Equip them, train them, instruct them like you did David's men, Lord. And I pray that we hear, not just in London, but throughout the UK, oh, there's a church in, in Brixton, South London, you know, and they're doing incredible work. They're, they're working with uh, the, the middle classes, the rich people. And they're working with ex-offenders. They're working with gang members. They're working with primary schools. 
They're working with those who haven't got any jobs. They're working with those who've got no food. I say, Lord, come. Do an amazing, amazing work with this church. And I pray that you you ignite the faith in, in the hearts of men and women here and let them be prayer warriors, God, for you. In your mighty name, amen. feel that actually there has been an invitation for us to respond and um, there's a couple of things that I'd